State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help with funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. Welcome to Checking In with Michelle Williams, a production of iHeartRadio and The Black Effect. Good afternoon, morning, evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm so appreciative of y'all checking in with me today. Today is really, I believe, a special episode. It's rare when I see something and I actually reach out to a total stranger because of something that they have posted on social media, bless me, and maybe has changed my perspective on the meaning of the word grief. I want y'all to welcome someone that I'm like, we should have known of this man long time ago. But the way God is set up and the way his timing is set up, I believe the timing is even more perfect for me to introduce to you medical physician whose specialty is family practice. He is a physician in the Tucson, Arizona area. Please welcome Dr. Saren Morong. Hi there. Thank you. Thank you for having me on here, you know, and, and thank you so much for reaching out to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Your story touched me. There are three medical doctors in my family, and to me, they're my heroes, right? But it made me stop and say, wait a minute, they're heroes, but they're human Mm -hmm. as well, first and foremost. And you went viral off of a video that you posted on the anniversary of your first wife's death. And I like how you said the story didn't end there because you have since remarried, right? We'll get to all that soon. But you posted this video about grief on the anniversary of her death. And I reached out to you and just wanted to have a conversation because a lot of people also reach out to me as it relates to grief and loss. And you've dealt with both. But I want to give people a background. (laughs) No one knows you were a linebacker. (laughs) (laughs) You saw that, yeah. You know, playing football. And did you know you were going to practice medicine? Yeah. When I started college, I'd gotten sort of an inkling of of wanting to do medicine when I was still in high school. So I came into college and just thought, you know, I think I'm going to explore pre-med and see if that still interests me as I go through. And and, and it did. So I I stuck with that in my whole college career going through that and and, uh, getting sort of prepared for that. A little bit hard to do while playing football, of course, but 
Um, and then once I was finished, you know, it wasn't in the cards for me to, to continue on and have some long NFL career or anything like that. So for me, it was kind of like, all right, next phase. What am I doing next with yeah. my life? And, and that's when I applied for medical school and started that journey. Oh, amazing. And I love to do my own personal research. I said, let me find out. <laughs> he played football. And that is yeah. so amazing because once again, I love the human part of doctors. Y'all are my heroes, first of all, because the how many years of schooling you got to go through, you know, I thought I wanted to be pre-med and I wasn't too good in anatomy and physiology to the point I told my professor, I said, please don't fail me. Just give me a passing grade of a D. Just just (laughs) don't fail me. But I think I've chosen or the I think this career path that I'm on was chosen for me. And so thank you so much for a little bit of background on you and your parents. So my father's from the Gambia in West Africa, born and raised there, came over to the States for education. That's where he met my mom, actually at Washington State University, where I ended up going to school. That's where I played football. You can see my stuff behind me there. I see, I see, I see. Go Cougs for anybody who sees this. But um, (laughs) And so um, they, they met there. So that school's been like a big part of my family because then that's where I met my first wife was was at Washington State, and she was a big time cooper as well, too. So, Absolutely. And, then, and on my mom's side of the family, it's like Swedish and like Norwegian. My grandpa was from Sweden. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of my background with my parents there. Yes, sir. Well, we definitely, we want to put a name to your wife, Visa. Visa, yes. She died unexpectedly right. in 2014. I know you tell this story a lot. (laughs) I don't want to tell the story for you, but just a little background again. She passed away unexpectedly in 2014, but I believe she called you first, according to the video. If you want to give us some background on what happened that day. It all kind of ties into, you know, even as you start off with me being a physician, because like I was at work seeing patients. I was out of residency at this point. That morning, I just remember we were talking about big plans for life, like what we we're going to do, you know, she was a big planner for things, like stuff that I just can't even like wrap my mind around, you know, she was telling me, Hey, you're doing this job right now. This is going to be good for us. Like in 16 and a half months, like that's where her planning took her, you know, like wasn't yeah. 15 months, whatever, 16 and a half months. Mm-hmm. I'm going to save this money. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. You know, those are things we were talking about that morning, you know, talking about like a new car, we wanted to buy something like that. Wow. And, um, yeah, I was just at work. Like I am Almost every day, seeing patients, phone was buzzing in my pocket, you know, whatever. Like, I'll check it in a little bit like I normally would. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can go through all the, the times, you know, I mean, they're still just like etched in my memory, you know. So it's at 9.14, it was this. At 9.27, it was this, you know. Mm-hmm. That's when she left this long voice message. And, you know, in it, she just was saying, you know, she didn't feel good. I mean, she did say her chest hurt. She was having trouble breathing, but she's still talking. You know, she still left like a long yeah. voicemail. And just her biggest concern at the end of it was not like, hey, I'm going to have to go to the hospital. You know, I've had a lot of people comment like, why didn't she call 911? It's like, well, dude, she didn't know what was happening right there. So her main concern was just having help with the kids in the afternoon. And then when I first heard it, like literally I was just like, okay, I could probably clear my schedule and go home. You know, that's all right to do. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, called her back. She didn't answer. Whatever. You know, she changed the diaper. The kids were, the youngest was like 22 months old. The other one was three and something. He was almost four. And uh, just like, okay, you know, she's changing the diaper. 
wait a few minutes, you know, work on my notes, my charting, call her back. Yeah. Yeah. You know, at this point, the older one knew how to, you know, work the phone. I, I, I've seen him decline calls and you know, oh, do stuff gosh. on an iPhone. You know, this is eight years ago. And I was like, oh my God, I could, I didn't think a kid could do that. You know, so I'm like, he's just doing something with the phone. You know, that third call, it was really just like, something's not right. And uh, called my neighbor. Luckily, he works from home. He rushed over. He calls me back, you know, and that's when it was just like, we need to call 911. You need to come home. I mean, I just tore out of there, left everything on, computer on, probably lived about 15 minutes from home, something like that. And uh, mm-hmm. got there and, you know, she was pale, disoriented. Uh, the paramedics were already there. They were already thinking based off of what they saw that she had a blood clot in her lungs. And that's what it turned out to be. A lot of people from the video thought it was a heart attack and it wasn't, it was blood clots. They loaded her up. I was thinking at that point, I still in my mind was thinking like, we're going to be in the hospital for like a day or two. You know, I've seen this come in. I've taken care of this, you know, as a doctor. I'm like, okay, I got to, boys are still in their PJs. Like, let me get some extra clothes. You know, like I still need some diapers. Like, this will be fine. Like, this is what, you know, hopefully we get to go home tomorrow. Even those are your thoughts as an MD. Like, you're human at that point, by the yeah, way. You, right. You're not the doctor. No, God, no. You know, people have asked me, like, oh, did you feel guilty? You didn't see signs before. Like, maybe in the beginning, did I have guilt over things? Just second guessing things? Yes. But more of just like as a husband, not even as a doctor. I mean, this really came out of the blue, you know. But um, yeah, I was just like thinking, like, well, we're going to have to stay tonight at the hospital. I think somebody can watch the kids. Like, this will be all right. Yeah. And uh, I, mean, I didn't mention this in the video, but she was taken to my hospital, the one where I trained at in residency and, and then what I was working right next doors to where my clinic was. I had taken time to get a bag together, chat with the boys a little bit. And so we took our time. We got there. The ambulance wasn't there. And I just thought this is the highest level of acuity care to bring her to where, where else would she be? It's because they had to stop on the way and they were having trouble getting her intubated. So they actually stopped the ambulance. You know, and I found that as she came in. And so they bring her in and now she's intubated. She's got the breathing tube. And I know that that's not a good sign when somebody comes in like that. There's a lot of people who don't make it. Some people do, but I've seen a lot who don't make it back from that. So the rest of that day, I mean, I didn't mention it in the video. It This went on all day. So she wasn't instantly, when you saw her, she was alive still. When I saw her, she kind of looked at me. She was alive. She was out of it. You know, and that's when I was trying to tell her that I loved her, but, uh, but she never woke up again. Though. So she would code, they'd get her stable. She'd be fine for a little bit. Heart rate would drop again, oxygen level, seeing them do CPR on her multiple times. There's so many horrible things about this that for anybody. And one of the other things that was rough for me though, is that like, yes, this is my wife, but yes, I'm a doctor and I can see the numbers on the monitor. And I know when we see those numbers that we're not expecting a good outcome. And mm-hmm. all the people who were working on people who trained me, you know, and I just felt that nobody wanted to talk to me because we all kind of had an idea. Nobody wanted to say anything, you know, so it went on. This was the morning she got there. It went on throughout the afternoon. At that point we had like, I mean, I called everybody and I had friends driving in. It was like 30 people yeah. in the ICU all waiting to see like what's going to happen, you know? I just like, you know, remember that moment when I was just sitting there just thinking like, and they they'd coded her for like 45 minutes. And to be honest with you, I think they went longer than they might've needed to just because they knew me. Yes. You know, that, that moment when I could see them 
like starting to like stop and I know what's going to happen next. And that moment of when like the doctor came out to talk to me, I just grabbed my boys, you know, that's just like, I got to have you guys like on me as I I'm hear this, this so news, sorry. you know, you know, they were so little, you know, they had no idea. It's just like, so that, I mean, we were just at the, the hospital all day and, and coming home that night, some people were going to come stay with me, you know, and I just like, I, I just remember the moment of getting back in bed and of course I had the boys in bed with me and just laying there, just like the just complete, just void, just complete, just emptiness yes. of like, what the hell am I going to do? You know, like what is just happened from the morning until now? Like what just happened and like, how am I going to do this? You know, you know, you said, I've, I've told the story a lot and there's times I can tell the story and I can just kind of give the facts and just like move on, you know, but like, this is why I said that in the, the video, the grief is still there. You know, like I'm, I'm a happy individual now. I've done a lot of work to get happy, but it's not like the grief has left me. It's not like I'm over it. You know, it's not like you check off yeah. the box and you're done. As you're telling the story, I mean, my eyes are welling up. I'm still seeing you as if it almost just happened. And this right. was eight years ago, yeah. which leads me to know there's no time limit on how long a person grieves. Right. And thank you so much for even detail by detail, minute by minute. I feel like we were practically there. Us that are listening are practically there. And then as you're watching as her husband and physician, obviously vitals are dropping, dropping, dropping. And you all had to it sounds like you had to make the decision to to stop. Yeah. yeah. Finally, it was just at a point where it's just, this is not working and this is the end. Yeah. Yeah. Blood clots. It's like, I don't know if anything has been done since then, just as a person that's not in the medical field. Is there anything to dissolve them? Like now, you know, if someone has a stroke, if yeah. you inject them with something in a certain amount of time, it kind of lessens the severity of symptoms of stroke. Yeah. There is, you know, and, and this is this is where there was a lot of struggle for me. Like I took time off of work, tried coming back and like things would come up. You know, I mean, I, I kid you not, I was out of work for a few months. And like the first patient I saw brought up having a blood clot. And what they determined at the end, I don't know if she was going to have like a, a hidden cancer or something that we didn't know about because cancer can cause yeah. blood clots. What they determined in the end is that it was from her birth control pills, which is a known risk factor. But typically, this is, here's the doctor coming out of me here. Uh, yes, typically, it's people 35 years or older and who smoke cigarettes. And she was 35 years old, but didn't smoke cigarettes. So she really didn't meet the criteria for it. What we found out later was that several of her older siblings have had blood clots. Too many in her family to say that it was just random occurrence. We weren't able to test her for that. I did end up getting my yeah. boys genetically tested to see if they had any clotting factors, clotting disorders. Thankfully, they don't. But I think this is just my logical sort of deduction here is that the genetic predisposition she had in combination with birth control pills is probably what did it. Yes, yes. But yeah, I mean, if the problem that they, they couldn't do anything right then, right away, was because they also thought that she could have had like an aneurysm that was bleeding. So that's another thing that, you know, spontaneously happens to people. And they needed to rule that out before they could give her the blood um, thing. 
because if she was having a bleed and they gave her that medication, it would have made it worse. So they had a really hard time getting her in the uh, CT scanner because she kept coding. And so they really couldn't do anything. By the time they could confirm what they thought, you know, it was it was past the time to do anything. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year? Their year. These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. Don't miss one minute of the action. Tune into the NBA playoffs on ESPN and ABC. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Wallbrook, we hear inspiring rags to riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know a spot, but not just a spot. The spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the One Million Black Businesses Initiative. The One Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale one million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The one million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. 
Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. Somebody gave me a really good perspective, though. This is why I'm really thankful that I decided to still share these things because people have actually said stuff on TikTok and everywhere that I didn't actually think of. And one of them was because I talked about how she was thinking about bringing me a coffee to work. And somebody said, like, what if you had said yes? And this happened while she was driving. And that's just so simple, but it, it never actually occurred to me. And I yes. just thought, oh, my God, like, that's okay. Because then that means that my boys were protected. They were. It's amazing the power of just sharing these things and hearing people's perspective, you know, just a different perspective to help you process your own feelings about it. Mm-hmm. How do you make peace, though? And I'm sure not only are people saying things like this to you, but when you're grieving, people can also say things just yeah. to the religion. Like, oh, this was her time. Oh, like, no, it wasn't. Like, what are you doing? Like, come on, 35 children. Come on. Right. You know, and so how do you make peace? Have you made peace or will you ever make peace? Let's put it this way. It's um, it's in process and I'm in a much better place about it. I made some videos about this too. Like I usually do things like, so obviously on the, the anniversary of her death, but also like on her birthday is usually where I yes. post things. So I've done recently too with that. And it, I just remember that people saying she's in a better place, you know? And I'm thinking like, don't tell me that. What is right? Like she's here with her family, with her children. Our What's life is better good. than that? <laughs> yeah, she's healthy. She's not sick. Healthy individual. Only medication she had was birth. So don't tell me she's in a better place. God, I used to piss. It still gets me sometimes when people say that. So yeah. I'm always trying to be really aware if I'm talking to somebody else and not say those things. So she's in a better place. Everything happens for a reason. I don't like that because in my mind, and this is just for me. And if, you know, I've told people like, hey, if this doesn't relate to you and if that works for you, then by all means, then look at things like that. But I don't like the idea of whatever you want to call it, God, higher power, universe. I don't want the plan to be that I'm going to take this beautiful soul away from her family for something else that we're going to do. Like I, yeah. that doesn't help me process my grief. What helped me process my grief was, I could use a lot more colorful words for this, but you know, it was a <laughs> terrible situation. It was tragic. It sucked. It was shitty, whatever. Mm-hmm. It happened. So eventually I had two choices. One was to continue spiraling down because I was absolutely spiraling down. And I I could just make it even worse or I could start living in a way that would honor her, that would make her happy and maybe some good things will come out of it. And to be honest with you, the fact that like you reached out to me or other people have reached out to me and they can relate to the story and it helps them. Well, there's the positive right there. Yes. Terrible situation, but what are you going to do? Absolutely. And sometimes through tragedy, I don't know if purpose for you was birthed somehow. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, in, in relating back to, to being a family doc, I mean, depression, anxiety of all types, like is 
almost a part of every visit. I feel like, you know, somebody comes in because wow. they got back pain, you know, we end up talking about depression. I get people who come in and it's like, they've been holding so much emotion in and they put on their, their mask for everybody else. And they come in and I'm, all I say is like, how's it going? What's going on today? And it's just like the waterworks and they just start sobbing and crying. I share all the time with somebody when they tell me that they've lost somebody, I always share with them and it just turns into a, a personal conversation that yeah. we can talk about, you know? And again, I'm not going to say that that's why that all that happened, but it did happen. And now I can at least use my experience to share with people. No, absolutely. And you had your way of dealing with grief. You stopped work for a while. You worked on a golf course. (laughs) You're a doctor. Come Uh on. Now, I hear that people that work on golf courses, they can make a nice living, especially off of tips. But we do know (laughs) an MD is definitely high up there in the tax bracket. Right. But you were like, man, I can't do this. I'm going to go drive golf carts. Yeah. Well, before I even did that, I, I took time off. I tried to come back to a different clinic with some friends of mine. That's when I had the patient who literally walked in the door. I was going through her history. And I said, what, what's this thing about anticoagulation disorder? It was very vague. I was like, what's that? And she said, oh, don't worry about that. No big deal. I had a blood clot because of my birth control pills. They treated it. It was fine. It's like one of, this is literally the first like, hour that I was back to work and I lost it. Now I'm sitting there crying. I bet you did. Yeah. This patient's looking at me like, my doctor is crazy. (laughs) My doctor is unstable. And then I quit, like literally left my medical license. They're like, Dr. Brown, your license is about to expire. I was like, I don't care. Done. Can't do it. Can't take care of other people. I can't take care of my boys. I can't even take care of myself right now, you know? And uh, I stayed in, this is all happened in, in Washington. I stayed there for another like six months or something. Um, this is after buying a new car, buying a new house, thinking that those things were going to help me. They didn't. Then I moved to wow. California to be around my wife's, my late wife's family. She's a large Laotian family. She was the youngest of eight. There's like 20 something grandkids out of the family and all these nieces and nephews and stuff. So my brother-in-law is like one owned and operated a machine shop. And so first I started working there, kind of just hoping with more business stuff. I have no idea. How yeah, to- I read that. <laughs> Yeah. You know, so I, I did that, you know, and then, yeah, I mean, at one point I ended up working on the golf course. And I'll tell you what, to this day, working on that golf course is probably going to be one of my most favorite jobs. It was awesome. You better not. I hope your <laughs> patients don't hear you say that. I don't, I don't care. I don't care. See, it doesn't matter because it's part of my journey. Right. And you are so yeah. right. Could you imagine like, wait a minute, while you're treating me for my condition, would you rather be on the golf course right, right now? And anybody probably would say, yes, I have a friend who just started playing golf during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You can't get them off the golf course. <laughs> yeah. So it ends up being people's favorite. Did you have to worry, though, about how people felt about how you chose to grieve? Oh, yeah. I mean, and a lot of it, too. You know, there was uh, a lot of drinking involved. Um, I, there was even some early relationships. I mean, I was literally just doing anything to not feel the pain. And that just ended up blowing up in my face. I mean, it absolutely just made everything worse anyways. And so, yeah, there was a lot of stuff, especially with her family, that they didn't approve of what I was doing. 
you know, at times we've had a, a big falling out. Some of us mm-hmm. have healed from that now and, and been able to, to move forward and, and reconnect, et cetera. Mm. And I know I had people who didn't necessarily approve, but then it was also sort of like, what else were they really going to say? You know, it's just like, then it's just my assumption, but you just a lot of people were just like, we just kind of got to let him work through his stuff, you know, however he's going to navigate life. It was definitely very dicey. You know, at one point I made another video too, it's on my stuff. It was after her funeral. I went from just being overwhelmed to just like that thought of like, you know what, I don't, I don't care if I wake up tomorrow, whatever. You know, and I had that like a couple of days in a row. And then all of a sudden it was like, I hope I don't wake up tomorrow. And then I had a day I was um, driving, I was out of the highway in the small town where I grew up and uh, there was a semi truck coming at me. And I just remember thinking, do it. It'll be done. It'll be quick. Over. And you don't have to feel this anymore. And thankfully, the truck passed by me. I didn't do anything. But as the, after the truck passed, I realized like what a big change that was in my mental health. And I pulled over on the side of the road and I was just like, what, you know, like, what am I doing? I immediately called some buddies of mine called my, or told my mom, it's like, I, I need help like right now. Now that was early on. Yeah. Doctor, there are three pillars of checking in, checking in with yourself, checking in with others and checking in with God. It's amazing that you checked in with yourself and others within a matter of minutes. You checked in with yourself saying, I'm not okay. And you got on the phone, you checked in with others and was like, I need help, which I say are the most incredible three words to me, almost besides I love you Mm -hmm. or do you want pizza? (laughs) (laughs) Food is a love language to me. For sure. Feeding people. So I love you. You want pizza? I need help. (laughs) I like, oh gosh, it's making me emotional are the most incredible words you probably have said in your life amongst all the other amazing things that you say and do, who you are as a husband, father, and what you do to help people in your community health-wise to say that I need help. As a man, to say I need help. And it looks like people came in and surrounded you and those layers of grief, as you said, were so layered or how you decided to cope. And it's like, you almost can't judge a person with how they decide to cope with grief. And even though it could be destructive to them and possibly destructive to others, and then you realize, okay, this is getting out of control. And thank you for even being so transparent with listeners, because I don't want anybody to ever think that there's a timeline on grief and you have to grieve and just go to church and pray and hope that it goes away. No, we going to do some stuff to try to rid of this pain. What have you been telling people that like, yo, what do I do to get rid of this pain or this grief? You know, part of that, I feel, you know, you use the words of like how somebody chooses to grieve and looking back at it with how clouded my mind was just how lost I was like, to say I was even choosing a certain way, it's like, I don't know. I mean, I was just letting life just, you know, okay. You know, yeah. And I can't say there was a light bulb moment, but at some point it was like, I had had enough of just beating myself up, not because I felt guilty, but just like maybe sorry for myself, you know, mm. enough of just destroying 
my emotional, mental, spiritual health or whatever, honestly, I was starting to lose more. I was not being the father that I wanted to be. I was not present. Sometimes just not emotionally present for the boys, but other times not physically present. I had started in this new relationship that I thought was making me happy and I wanted to keep it and I lost that. You know, so it's just like, it was just more loss. So there's like this moment of like acceptance, surrender, giving up, giving up in a good way to say, okay, somebody tell me what the hell to do. I cannot make my decisions for it. Tell me what to do. And that feeling of just sort of being willing to do whatever was a big change. It's not like all of a sudden I felt better. It was just like, okay, let's do some real work. And uh, that's what I did. I did grief work. Like I tried some stuff before, but I was not invested in it yet. I wasn't ready, you know, Yeah. but I, I did some stuff in a group and that was super helpful for me to sit with other people. And cause like, I always tell my patients, like we intellectually know, we all understand that we're not the only ones who've ever lost anybody, but sitting with somebody else, when you're sitting in their emotions and you hear what they've experienced, and then you hear how they might've done things differently. And it just sort of opened your eyes like, oh, okay. And so the grief work was super important, uh, specific okay. trauma work, because obviously okay. it was a very traumatic day. You know, I met with a counselor. I am like 100% in on people seeing therapists and doing whatever they need to do. And I always tell people, it's like, listen, like, what's the goal? Your goal is, you know, sometimes we just say get better, but I usually want people to say specifically what you want, something that we can like okay. measure. You know, it's like, I want to be there more for my kids. Like, okay, does that mean helping with homework? Does that mean like, make sure they're at the sporting events? It is okay. And right now you're blocked or something, whatever. It's like, okay, so that's our goal. Now, who cares how we get to that goal? If you need a therapist, medication, yoga, I, I don't care. Like whatever we need to throw at you to get you to your goal, that's the only thing that matters in the end, you know? And I guess that's where a place that I got to was like, when I was doing a bunch of this therapy, somebody asked me about like, what did I want my legacy to be? my legacy for my boys. And it's just like, these guys have had a rough start. I mean, in a way they were so young. So it's like, it's kind of good. They don't remember some stuff, but it's like to not know her just pains me, you know? And so I kind of was thinking like, well, they've had that. And like, now if they have a dad who can't take care of them, dad, who's not there, that's not what I want. So my real spark to really getting better was just like, I've got to make it to the point where like, when they grow up, that they can look back and say like, man, like, mm. my dad went through some stuff, tough, but he was able to get through it. When I started living like that, things really started to change. And I went from just going through the motions, sort of existing. I went from just simply existing to switching it over and actually living again. Mm. Was there any guilt when you were like, I'm going to start living again? At this point, no. I'd had okay. enough of not, you know, and, you know, she was a very vibrant person, you know, kind of the one that everybody walks in the room and it's just like, everybody wants to talk to her, you know, it's just like, that's what she would want. You know, we all always say those things, but it's important to realize like really specifically, what does that mean to you on a personal level? When you say that you're a lost one, what would they want for you? Plus, then I also just got comfort in the sense that there's really only one goal in respects to her and there's only one thing I have to do, and that's just raise mm -hmm. these boys the way that we had planned. Everything outside of that, to me, doesn't really matter anymore. But if I raise them in a way that I know would make her proud, everything else is good. Wow. Dr. Saren, thank you so much. It's 
again, grief is so layered and I pray I did not offend you when I mentioned choosing to grieve. No, no, not at all. I, okay. Cause I was like, cause people feel like you're supposed to grieve a certain way. And if I choose to take a dropper of CBD oil before I go to sleep at night so that I can sleep. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I was like, oh gosh, I, I no, I, and you didn't. And, and the only reason I, I honed in on that is just because I realized at least when I'm looking back, like I, I don't feel like I had a choice. Like I wasn't very aware of oh, the things like, okay. sure, maybe at the time it seemed, but like, I look back and it's just a, it's just all a, a haze. And so I feel like as I came out of all that, that I've been much more purposeful, intentional in what I do. Mm, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm just wondering from the a doctor's point of view, do you feel like you went through what they say, what grieving is in a textbook? I guess so. But like my experience with it is like you, you read it, right? And there's like five stages, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Yes. And mm-hmm. it's kind of written out, at least last time I looked at it, where it's sort of like you're that's like supposed to be like a linear thing. And in the beginning, I cycled through all five of those things, maybe not the acceptance part, but at least four mm-hmm. of those things on like an hourly basis. You know, it was just all over the place. Later, as I started getting better, the highs and lows or the, the speed of that cycle, however you want to look at it, started to slow down. And then I came to a place of acceptance. And I was I was talking about this the other day, and I thought to myself, like, because that to me, it just grief doesn't end. Like I said, you just learn to live with it. And it's like I'm in that acceptance phase, but you stay there, hopefully. It's not like I finish that and then I'm good, I'm fine. I got to stay living in acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Dr. Saren Morong, I am so thankful that you are speaking with us today. I want you to continue this conversation. I know we talked about, I think there's, you're doing something with a book soon. Yeah. yeah, We want to hear more from you. You will, you know, just like you reaching out, other people have reached out. And so there's a book, um, I think it's going to be titled Fatherless Curiosity. It's going to be myself and uh, several other dads. Everybody's going to write their own chapter um, on what fatherhood means to them. And, you know, and obviously a lot of mine deals with the, the loss of my boy's mom, Bisa. Um, it also deals with uh, my own upbringing, too, and my father not being around. So that'll be in my chapter. We're going to try and get that book out um, by Father's Day. So, yeah, th- that'll be coming soon. Me being in therapy all these years, I think I'm a bootleg therapist because now I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You said your father wasn't in your life. Did this trigger anything about that? We'll do that on another conversation because I feel like. You could come back and be almost like a resident physician on checking in. Hey, I'm, oh. I'm definitely down to do that. I, I, it sounds weird, but I like talking about this stuff, but I like talking about my experiences. And, you know, that's what I found where it's like, I'm glad that I ended up in where I'm at with family medicine, et cetera. It gives me an opportunity to do that, you know, on a real personal level. At the same time, just talking about, you know, regular diabetes, blood pressure, yes. et cetera, you know, but um, it's it's been a... A crazy journey. One other thing I want to say, how I mentioned, you know, I was losing my, my boys. I wasn't around them. I was lost that relationship that I thought was really making me happy. You know, that relationship mm-hmm. ended and I'm glad it did because then later we reconnected and that's who I'm married to now. It took time. Oh, doctor! <laughs> it's 
help you. Now, y'all, everybody that you break up with, that don't mean they coming yeah, around. So don't yeah. get excited. <laughs> yeah. Don't get excited. You know, a lot of people ask me, like, some people really didn't listen to the video. And it's like they, it's like they thought that my first wife had died like a couple of months ago. And then I was talking about yes, a new relationship, no. you know, and I was it was a long process. You have to listen to the whole thing because you even say in the video, you mentioned when your uh, wife visa passed and then you say, but the story doesn't end there. Keep watching, keep watching, keep listening, keep listening because you have since remarried and you have a beautiful new child. Yes, thank you. Grief and loss, there can be joy somewhere in the process. Mm-hmm. I mean, it ain't none of my business, but if you did, it's your business. But I'm quite sure that you found a sprinkling of joy, obviously, to decide to take this next step and say, I'm going to try this again. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it there. Dr. Sarah Marong, thank you so much. And we can find you on Instagram. Y'all, y'all got to go to his Instagram and his TikTok Mm -hmm. to look at all of his videos on grief and all the other incredible gems that he likes to drop for us along the way. He even did something for St. Patrick's Day. It was so cool because like y'all, doctors doctors are more than just the white coats that they uh-huh. wear. They actually have fun and do things. That's why I started off the interview like, yo, you went to, yeah, obviously you went to college, you played football. Mm-hmm. There's so many facets to you and I'm glad that you shared a few of those. I have eight, eight holiday suits that I wear throughout the year. <laughs> Lord Jesus. I had a patient who knows that I do suits, so specifically schedules the closest she can to that next holiday so she can see what I'm wearing. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. It's fun. it's fun. The things that doctors can do for their patients that even bring their patients a little bit of joy. Again, Dr. Saren Moronk, thank you for checking in with us and letting us in on your process of grief, loss recovery and restoration along the way. Well, thank thank you. you. I appreciate you having me on. I really do. Checking In with Michelle Williams is a production of iHeartRadio and The Black Effect. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears. Real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. Don't miss one minute of the action. 
Tune into the NBA playoffs on ESPN and ABC. Got my PrevNA 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine.